0: Here we go. It's Monday night. Time once again for Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and I'm excited. Ira, back in the studio. It's, it's been a little while. We're, we're live. We're ready to go. You've been gallivanting around, uh, well, mostly the New York uh, tri-state area, but you're back here in South Florida.
1: Yes. Uh, done watching tennis, of the 14 days of the U.S. Open, and the next day I was at the Jets. I was at the Aaron Rodgers game. I actually was not seeing his. It was uh, late getting to the game. Which is which like is,
0: blasphemy for you. Yeah,
1: unheard of. <laughs> when my friend John was, there was a, remember? There was so much rain that day. It was almost impossible possible to get to the stadium. But I missed that. I mean, I didn't realize I had to get to the, see the first, you know, series of the game <laughs> in order to see the whole season that Aaron Rodgers had. But but so it was pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, you know, you've, you've had a busy couple of weeks. You're back in South Florida. I'm sure you'll be uh, jet-setting again soon. But while we have you here, we're excited for this. We're also excited for our guest. Justin Felder is going to join us. He's a part of Fox 5 Atlanta. Coming on around 735, local kid who's making a big name for himself in, in sports journalism.
1: Yeah, sports anchor, executive producer of Fox 5 Atlanta. He's- He's a nine. Uh, he runs the whole department there. He's a, a M- Emmy winner, um, great. You know everything about. No, he's the D guy in Atlanta sports. So I love to have him on the show talking about everything that's happening in Atlanta, which is like it seems like the center of the sports world right now.
0: Yeah. Palm Beach Gardens. Uh, born and raised. Went to University of Florida. And now he's here on Ira on Sports. Of course, you can follow Ira anywhere he goes at Ira on Sports across social media. Ira, tonight's a fun show because it's only really twice a year. Some years only once a year where we have live football during our show and we're gonna have a very exciting NFC South matchup with the with the Saints and the uh, Panthers. We'll keep well, updated I, on this one.
1: I, I don't know if it's that exciting but the fact <laughs> that game starts earlier, then we're gonna go see the Steelers and Browns at eight fifteen. So it'll be it's great to have two games on Monday night to watch as this sorta of happened last year once and then during COVID, remember they were having a bunch of Monday night games mm-hmm. where they're trying to make up some games. So it'll be cool. Hey there's everyone loves the
0: NFL football so just put it on we always talk about weird scheduling things and things we don't like this is something that bothers me, though. Why are these games an hour apart? When they first started doing, maybe it was a decade ago, they started doing two Monday night games week one. It'd be like 6.30 and then 9 o'clock. So you could basically see both games. Now they're overlapping for basically the entire thing. It's crazy. Well, crazy. I think
1: that definitely, I think it should be spread out.
0: Yeah, it should be spread out, but we'll get to see uh, Bryce Young take on Derek Carr. Here in about seven minutes or so, we'll keep you updated on that score. But uh, let's get into it. NFL NFL underway for, for week two, and... Last week was pretty sloppy. We talked about that. I think a lot of teams seem to be starting to get their act together. It seemed like we saw more high-quality football yesterday.
1: Yeah, I think after, because no, none of the players played during the preseason. That's the key thing, is that you don't see them the first three games of preseason. This is their first game, and they come. So now, this week was great. I mean, I, I was sitting in a sports bar on Sunday, you know, t- watching almost every single game that you could possibly watch. I got my YouTube TV ticket for the 4 o'clock game, so I watched all those games. So it was cool that I got to watch all these games. Of course, there's nothing more painful i think in life than watching a player like christian kirk who you did not start in fantasy and trevor lawrence just keeps throwing to the ball every single time and so i'm never gonna promise christian kirk i'm never gonna not take you out of my lineup for the rest of the season
0: as painful as someone like me starting zay jones and having him get hurt in the first quarter with zero receptions <laughs> fantasy's a, a, a tough mistress sometimes let's go back to monday night football you were there and the jet season ended four plays into it um Everybody knows what by now it happened with Aaron Rodgers, torn Achilles, but like you said, you're usually there three hours before the game starts. You missed this.
1: I think, it, you know, and I'm, we're talking about the, the they had a new turf there. So this turf is, and there's a whole debate, do you want grass, do you want artificial? It's this combination blend or whatever. But remember, if anybody watched the Giants-Cowboys game the night before, it was pouring down rain. And that day on Monday, I have never seen it rain so hard. It was Florida-type rain. I mean, it was coming down so hard, we couldn't even get out of the city. My friend John and I were driving, and we could, just couldn't get out. There was water flooding everywhere, so we're late to the game. It was a little weird going to the U.S. Open for 12-4 14 days and then going to the Jets game because it was sort of like wow. I mean the fans were mean, nasty. And I mentioned the same fans at the open, It's just like now I have a Jets uniform jersey on, I can act a certain way. It was completely different. The last time I was at that stadium was the Super Bowl, was the Denver Seattle Super Bowl. So I was that that was surprised with that. And the last football game I was at was a Super Bowl in Phoenix. So it was weird to be back like in an NFL game, in what all those. So I thought that was cool. But it was when we got there, people did not Realize the severity of the injury at the time. You're asking people like, "What happened?" I just we got there in the middle of the first quarter, and people were like, "You heard about it, but people thought it was just a sprained ankle. I don't think anyone thought it was a torn Achilles at that moment."
0: Watching it on TV, no, nobody did. It was kind of just a question: people, is he coming back? What's the deal? Obviously, he went to the medical tent for you know five minutes or so, then you know left the field. He seemed to be doing okay. He didn't seem like he was in pain at all. The first time I heard Achilles mentioned was at halftime and there was you know, they brought on doctors and stuff like that and they said this could very well, you know, it's either a high ankle sprain or more likely an Achilles tear. But yeah, for that first half, everyone was kind of in the dark. What were the people in the stadium like? I mean, was it like everyone downtrodden and morose that our seasons over people just didn't know what was, what was I don't like? think
1: anyone knew and I think as I said they were the report first reports was he wasn't coming back but I think people were felt that he just they looked like he just rolled his ankle just like saquon barkley had in terms of an ankle that he was gonna be out three to four weeks they felt it was just one of those type of injuries that he just rolled his ankle but they were boy the fans were yelling at the Bills. I sat about 15 rows like on the five yard line right there at that one the one the corenzo now if I was there even time I would not have seen it it was on the opposite side of the field but I got some great videos of the Wilson to Garrett Wilson touchdown pass. But boy, the fans were there screaming at the, um, the referees. It was constant. And I mean, I'm saying in a good section. Now, this was the highest ticket price for any Jet game that anyone could even remember. I mean, the average ticket price was through the roof for this game. But um, I felt like, and it was just, and the Jets have this new lighting and sound system where they, at every timeout, the lights go completely dark and then they go crazy with the sound, crazy with the lights. I've only saw that at Alabama. And that was pretty cool. But you wonder if you're a, you know, trying to plan a game and suddenly it's pitch dark at every single time out so that was a little weird to see that but it was it was a raucous raucous crowd to come
0: in let's talk about the game itself because this was you know last year the Bills went into the season as the Super Bowl favorites they stumbled last year they really didn't look good in this game I know the Jets defense is good but Josh Allen just looked like something's not right I just don't
1: understand, it. not understanding the moment, and I'm the biggest Josh Allen fan out there. I think he's the greatest. I think Ryan Clark will give him credit on this. He said that Josh Allen is like Superman in terms of he can go up and stop missiles and nuclear weapons and everything, but it was sometimes Superman just has to help the little old lady walk across the street. Well, you don't have to go so crazy. You, the game, you're playing Zach Wilson. He's terrible at quarterback. Just get some drives, get some field goals, score 20-some points, and the game's over. And He threw three interceptions. The second interception, when he threw it right dead in the end zone, was ridiculous. There was It was to double Covers to throw into when clearly the Jets were on their heels. They're not doing anything on offense. I just thought that was horrendous. And Whitehead, the quarterback for the Jets, had three interceptions. His bonus for the season was 250000 for three interceptions. Not for one game, for the entire season. He gets it in one game and actually <laughs> helped force the fumble. And also the fumble again. He had a fumble at the end of the game that set up the Jets' field goal and went to overtime and they punted. But it's one of those games, I'll tell you what, if the Bills don't get home field advantage for the playoffs, uh, get that number one seed, they're going to look back at that game because they Completely threw that away. That was a ridiculous game. And I know the Jets had momentum and they, they Roger spoke to them at, at the halftime and, and gave them motivation. But still, Josh Allen's performance was absolutely horrendous. And he has got to, I mean, I'm the biggest defender of some of these turnovers, but those turnovers
0: yesterday, four, they had the ball 11 times. He turned the ball over four times. No, he it, it's sloppy. And there's a serious lack of Brian Dayball there. And we'll talk more about, you know, his effect with the Giants, but you can see he's just not the same quarterback. One thing that'll help is playing the Raiders secondary, and uh, because they've just been terrible for years. And it started off quickly. Devonte Adams scored on the first uh, first drive. You're like, "Uh oh, is this gonna happen to Buffalo again?" But no, they they ended up crushing. Oh, That uh, game was on. I can tell you
1: for every game, like what TV it was on. It was to my left. The Raiders are horrendous. Josh McDaniels, I can't see him surviving this year. Jimmy Garoppolo was his total. He's not. He's not mobile. He's not fast. He's not. I mean. It's terrible. This is not going to work out well for the Raiders at all. And if you're looking at where Shador Sanders and Deion Sanders might go, I'll tell you what, prime time <laughs> could be going <laughs> to, to the Vegas. That would be just a match made oh, in heaven. don't
0: do that. We uh, never stop hearing that. <laughs>
1: yes, it. but that's, the, I mean, they are, This it's a total mess. And certainly, again, Buffalo, I mean, uh, uh, Allen threw three touchdowns, no interceptions. They actually could run the ball. You know, Bills didn't have a running game against them. Cook ran 17 carries, 123 yards. But I really think the Raiders team this year, without car. You're looking for... This is a train wreck, and it's going to be a disaster the entire year.
0: Devontae Adams will be packaged out of town at some point, I, I would assume. He's not going to finish the season with them. I think Josh Jacobs had nine touches for minus two yards. Like, this is what you, you, you were good at, running the ball. They can't do that now. Uh, it's not looking good. New York Jets played Dallas, and I got to tell you, Ira, maybe it's just because I have a lot of friends in the New York area, but a lot of people like to watch the Jets. The Jets are going to win this game. The Jets are going to cover with Zach Wilson. Good luck with that. And the Dallas didn't make them look as bad as they made the Giants look, but they still put a beat down on the Jets.
1: Yeah, and what, I mean, the Dallas has now beat both New York teams by a combined score of 70 to 10. <laughs> and I mean, it was as Dak Prescott, 31 for 38, 250 yards, two touchdowns, CeeDee Lamb, 11 catches, 143 yards. I think that Mad Dog Russo, I was listening to him today, made a really good point that was as bad as Zach Wilson was, and Zach Wilson was absolutely horrendous with three interceptions, 12 for 27 passing. I mean, he, he looked like he probably should be a quarterback for Alabama. He played so poor, except for that 60 yard Touchdown to Wilson. It would be an even worse game, but their defense, the Jets' defense, is supposedly the greatest defense of all time. They're like the Bears or the Steelers. They were terrible too. Dallas was able to move the ball almost at will against them. So I really think what a disaster for the Jets. I mean, I, New York sports. Everyone in New York, goes, they were so <laughs> pumped. You know, we had sweet about the Mets. They, they were so pumped about the Yankees. Both those teams. Now you have the Jets and the Giants floundering. It is not good. And boy, a lot of pressure on the New York Knicks starting basketball next month so I I was gonna say at
0: least they made the second round of the playoffs better than anyone else is doing um Sauce Gardner deleted his Twitter after the game they this that's how you know you got under a team skin when they start deleting their Twitter's but I, like,
1: I would like to say, though, about Dallas, I think that it looks like in the NFC, clearly there's three teams and they play each other. Dallas on October 8th is at San Francisco and November 5th at Philadelphia, of course, and December 10th at Philly at home and December 17th, at you know, they play Buffalo and Miami. But San Francisco plays Philly. So you, you're going to have this three-way tournament, I would say, between Dallas, San Francisco and Philadelphia, three teams that are so far, you know, far away, uh, the, the cream of the crop
0: of the NFC. No, absolutely that that Dallas defense is punishing but in the AFC we got Miami they're 2 and 0 2 and 5 and 0 against Bill Belichick in, in his career not not bad um it's hard to go win in New England. So congratulations to the Dolphins. This is a big win. wasn't the prettiest, but congratulations on a huge win and, and an undefeated start to the season.
1: It was. And it was fun to watch. It's always fun to watch like the Alabama quarterbacks, Tua and Mac Jones. When you watch Alabama versus South Florida on Saturday, when they have they have four quarterbacks and none of them getting whatever, then you have Tua and Mac Jones, who are you know four quarterbacks in the in the NFL are Alabama quarterbacks, which is unbelievable in the past yeah. couple of years. Uh, Tua. A weird game. I don't think he was as sharp, and they and they really the Patriots, as you know, could take away Hill, take away the deep passes. But but I think from that perspective. But uh, it was it was through 250 yards, one touch, one reception. They led 17-3 at half, and then I really think at the end, you know, the, the problem was that blocked field goal. Uh, that sort of led at that point the blocked field goal let New England back into the game a little bit. Um, they go and they score, and then they they had that couple drives for touchdowns where the Miami defense for most of the game looked phenomenal and then just sort of looked like they were paper mache and let them go down but most you love that 40 yard run that he had especially when you missed not picking on fantasy but at that point but it was it was that i think the fact that most was able to get that big 40 yard run um and the, that was probably a big point in fact that tua he only got sacked now it's been two games only sacked one time and that's the most important thing when you're watching tua play near the dolphins you're like I'd rather th- him just throw the ball away. Just don't get hit. It's, it, he is so crucial to what they're doing that the fact that he only got— it seems like—did he get hit more than, like, one time in the, besides that sac- I think it's
0: once in, in two games he One been hit yeah. I don't think he
1: was hit another time. I think that's what that's great. I know that he has a special helmet. He learned jiu-jitsu. He's all this other stuff <laughs> or whatever he's doing. But the key thing is block—the the line has to block, not get him hit, get the ball out. I'd rather them punt, you know, than have him get hit on it because they need to keep him upright.
0: The opposite of the Giants strategy just let your quarterback sit in there and and take blows so the one o'clock games the premier game here was obviously patrick mahomes versus trevor lawrence and if you're watching red zone channel or something like that they're basically only showing this game unless another team's about to score kind of sloppy ira i mean this is I know Patrick Mahomes didn't have Travis Kelsey in the first game, they didn't look right, but now Travis Kelsey's back, they didn't look great again, and Jacksonville kind of looked even worse. I don't know what my takeaway from this game is. I think the fact
1: is that Kansas City opened with two punts, a fumble, and Mahomes threw a terrible interception. So they had zero points, and you're thinking, okay, their defense isn't that good. Jacksonville's going to be up 21 nothing. This game had 21 nothing. Jacksonville were done all over, and they, have, they haven't they scored at all. They were up just 3-0, and uh, then it was like 7-6 at halftime. The kids, opened in the second half up 14-6, and each team had a field goal the rest of the game. I, I just, with the team, like, kids, City had three turnovers. They had 12 penalties for almost 100 yards, but Jacksonville was terrible, and I am just, I, I Trevor Lawrence. It's just, it's maddening. I mean, they have. He's so good, and the team is so talented, and all these great wide receivers and Ridley and Kirk. I nothing. And at the end of running, I, I just don't know what happened, and I think it is a serious problem for Jacksonville. This was a game at home. They could have gone up 2-0, looked great, and 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 Kansas City just like I don't. They like how do we win? I know Mahomes is tremendous. I mean, his plays. But I also think my takeaway from this game is, boy, Mahomes just signed that big two hundred ten million dollar guarantee contract. Could not have just maybe signed for a little bit less and got Tyreek Hill as kept him there. Like they just need another wide receiver. They have no, they're doing this with no wide receivers at all. Yeah. None. And he's running around and he's the greatest. And I love watching him play. He's must see TV. He is box office, as Stephen A. Smith says. However, they just. I would rather—he has a chance to become the greatest quarterback of his player of all time, passing Brady. I'd rather take less money and have more players, sort of what Brady had done in his career.
0: 721, this is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Twelve minutes to go in the first quarter, 0-0 Saints and Panthers. Uh, Justin Felder from Fox 5 Atlanta joins us at 735. So we've been campaigning on this show, Ira. Where are the Bears getting these wins from? They're supposed to go from three wins to eight. Never thought this was even close to possible. And last week, Packers fans are saying, well, watch Jordan Love against this Bears defense. The Bears defense stinks. I I don't know what to make of Tampa at this point. Baker Mayfield's looked pretty good. But when you're thinking about... Play the Vikings defense. You play the Bears defense. Is this smoke and mirrors? Is Tampa Bay for real? Regardless, they're, they're 2-0. and
1: I like what Tampa's done. They've sort of mixed in some players that won a Super Bowl championship with Tom Brady with that experience with 13 rookies, six of them undrafted. The Tampa defense had six sacks and two interceptions on Justin Fields, who was just horrendous. I mean, he he just, really it's, bad. Pro- it's progressing. And then the worst one was at the end of the game when he threw the ball. They're only down a touchdown. Shaq Barrett intercepts it. Now, talk about Achilles uh, tour, a Shaq Barrett Remember, at the end of last year, tore his Achilles t- tendon and was able to come back and, and play great in this game now, about a six-month recovery. But uh, it was just – but Baker Mayfield, that's a, a storyline. He's now – it was 26 for 34, 300 yards, one touchdown – no sacks at all. He did not look like the Cleveland Brown Baker Mayfield. He looked no. like the Oklahoma Sooner Heisman Trophy Baker Mayfield. A absolutely tremendous game from them. And I really like, I mean, Tampa's 2-0. and oh. they, You don't know what to make of it, but boy, in what their type keep of... keep
0: them from winning that division? In
1: their division, <laughs> eight or nine wins is going to be and I think from Tampa, if you're a Tampa fan perspective, you're like, wow, we're excited. I mean, there was, there was something that was going to be Cal Trask at quarterback and they said we're sold on Baker. And they're only paying $10 million this year. So, But I think, look, they have Mike Evans, uh, they have Chris Godwin, they <laughs> still
0: so the People wide receiver. Th- thought Mike Evans was washed. He was falling in the fifth, sixth round of fantasy drafts. So what was going on with that? And he was
1: making play after play, and Godwin's making play after play, and then you have, as I said, it's that mixture of the younger players. You have Baker, and you have these players that have, they did win a Super Bowl title, and they actually were with Tom Brady, so it's like there's something about it. So big win for Tampa and Chicago this season is going to be a disaster. And and th- how much longer are they going to go with Justin Fields? Like He's going to go,
0: This this he's looking worse than he did last year. It's a three-win team again. I, I, I have no idea where the where the bookmakers got to eight wins. New York Giants and Arizona. I'm watching this game, what little they'll show of it because of how bad uh, both of these teams are. 20 to nothing at one point. Arizona's on top of the Giants. So now the Giants have allowed 60 points on the season, scored zero. And then I don't know if... Arizona tanking came into play. I don't know if Brian Dable completely changed everything, but they came out with a fantastic comeback in the second half and won this game versus the Cardinals.
1: Well, it was 60 to nothing for the Giants. It was the third worst start in terms of the two games since 1950. And then Daniel Jones just turned it on and played great and ran, and, and the Cardinals are one of the worst teams in football, and they showed why they were. And they have Joshua Dobbs, and they are playing to get Kyle Williams. That's who they want. They want, That's their quarterback next year. And maybe they'll get Sanders if Jonathan and they fire again, and they bring in Sanders and Coach Prime there. So we'll see what happens there. But this is a team that that like they were probably embarrassed that they were up by so many points <laughs> on the Giants. But the Giants, as this game shows, uh, this is this Giants team. They played one of the worst team, if not the worst team in the NFL, and barely won the game. And we're losing, uh, you know, by 21 points in the first half. This Giants team has a lot of lot of problems, as was shown against the Cowboys the week before.
0: So San Francisco and the Rams, and this is one that. A lot of people would say, oh, man, San Francisco's going to crush these guys. The Rams have nothing. I got to tell you what, the Rams don't look that bad. I mean, considering all they've lost, how they're basically three players and then a bunch of bench guys is their roster, Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford getting it done. They didn't win the game. But man, that's an encouraging performance against the 49ers. They
1: play, yeah. They were they're one on one. They played, they played very, very well. San Francisco is an elite. I mean, they are they are it's that Dallas, San Francisco, and Philly are the three teams as I said that would go to the Super Bowl. Barack Purdy, 17 for 25, 206 yards, McCafferty running well. This team this team is great. But boy, Stafford with Puka uh Puka Nakua from N-Puka BYU, N-Puka, which yeah. no one drafted in fantasy has had. Now he's the first player ever to have like in his first as a rookie to have 30 catches in two games, and they don't have a Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup's going to come back. Everyone thought this was going to be a, a wasted year. You know, Matthew Stafford is going to go to the Jets because the Rams are so bad, all this other stuff. And look, the Rams are competitive. They play well. This is a big rivalry. You know, people, when you're out in L.A. and you see it, the L.A., the Rams-San Francisco 49er rivalry is a is one of the best in football, which people don't talk about as much because in the East Coast we don't see it. See it but it is a huge rivalry. Fans of both teams, So tons of 49er fans were at that game. But, uh, again, I love how I love how San Francisco is playing and the Rams encouraging sign.
0: Going back to Thursday night, Philly and Minnesota. And if you just turned this game on, you would have thought you were watching 1920s leather helmet football. Oh, the Eagles was just running the ball and could not be stopped. And Minnesota played okay. You know, Kirk Cousins played okay. Um, but they're beginning to show, you know, last year they had, what, 11 one, uh, single uh, single possession uh, wins. Now they got two losses quickly, and this was a team that we were both saying, how could they be at eight and a half wins? This this team should win 10, 11 games. Now they're 0-2. Well,
1: Cousins was fantastic, almost 400 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, but two plays to find the entire game. The First of all, at the end of the first half, Jefferson, Justin Jefferson is reaching for a touchdown. He fumbles the ball through it. They could have scored a touchdown at that point, and then they, the Eagles go back and kick a field goal, and then the start, the second half, Cousins fumbles the ball, pick six, and then the Eagles, they didn't score a touchdown, but then they ran it in later, but those are the two. That was 14-point turnaround, and I think that would have, been, Gabe would have been I feel bad for the Vikings. I don't like the Eagles' defense is not, it's weird defense. It's sort of like, the, I guess, the Dolphins a little bit, because the fact is, it looked like they had the game under control, and then they let the Vikings come back and score some points, and that wasn't good, but again, it was uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, passing, running, all those type of things, um, and the and the Vikings. Now, people talk about the Jets getting Kirk Cousins. I think the Vikings are still going to hang in there. It's all 0-2. They still have a lot of talent on that bad team. Bad division. Bad division. And the Jets are not good. They're not trading Kirk Cousins.
0: Chargers and Tennessee Titans. When is Brandon Staley going to lose his job, Ira? This is just another— Tennessee last week, what, they scored 12 points on four field goals? I mean, this is not some kind of high-powered offense— you're supposed to be a defensive coach. Most expensive defense in the league. You can't stop anybody. Tennessee Titans win.
1: The Chargers have now have lost five games under Staley. When leading by ten or more points, they're tied for second most of the NFL since 2021, and only Baltimore has more than in that span. But it's just everything about the Chargers. It just doesn't make sense. They take, they get leads. They blow leads. We saw what happened to Jacksonville. At the, he was testy with reporters asking the questions. And Mike Vrabel, you know, the team. People forget Tennessee had lost eight games in a row. I mean, this is a team that. And but they came and won it. But it's still just. The Chargers look like a team with so much talent Justin Herbert, and they keep losing all these games. Really frustrating for the Chargers fan. I cannot see how Staley, he might get fired in the middle of the year.
0: I would be shocked if he makes it to the end of the season at this rate. You're an AFC North guy. You know them very, very well. We saw Baltimore taking on Cincinnati. Cincinnati loses. Is it time to push the panic button on the Bengals if you're a Bengals fan? Because i might be very worried.
1: Well, Joe Burrow, with it, he just looks terrible. He's only thrown for 300 yards in two games. That's an average of 150 yards a game with two touchdowns and one interception. Uh, Jamar Chase has only 10 catches and 70 yards in two games. So they're 0-2. They've had bad starts. Baltimore looks like, wow, with this new offense, with they have the former Georgia uh, um, offensive coordinator running their offense. And, uh, they, and, and Lamar Jackson, healthy, moving around throwing the ball. It looks like they they look like they're, you know, the Zay Flowers, they finally, they've been drafting a first-round wide receiver, it seems like, for 10 years. They finally got it right. Zay Flowers looks great. And Baltimore, is a Steeler fan, a little nervous. Baltimore looks like they're good. But Cincinnati now looks like they're the team that's really struggling. Yes, I think unless Burrow gets his ankle fixed and, and feels better, this is just going to, this could be a bad year. I mean, they look worse. I mean, as much as Buffalo's uh, nervous, I think, and Kansas City's nervous, Cincinnati is probably the most nervous of anyone.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We, we look at the AFC as being the way better uh conference and you know there's five teams in the afc that could beat any team in the nfc kind of not the truth here though we've been seeing that maybe these nfc teams are better than the afc teams want to talk a little bit about uh, cleveland and pittsburgh uh because they're going to come up a little bit later today i don't know i'm taking the steelers to win this game ira i don't know why everyone's you know loving the browns all of a sudden they beat and obviously depleted Bengals team uh last week i'm going with your steelers tonight
1: well, this, I could never go against the Steelers with the Browns, especially. <laughs> but the Steelers have now won 20 wins in a row on Monday night. Um, the last time they lost was Bobby Brister was their quarterback. And this is Kenny Pickett versus Sean Watson. But there's no DeAndre Johnson, uh, wide receiver for the Steelers. He's out. Cam Hayward, the defensive lineman's out. And then you have the whole Miles Garrett. Remember the game in Cleveland when Miles Garrett went and took Mason Rudolph and threw the helmet yeah. on the ground? All that stuff. The Browns don't have Jack Con- 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 Conklin at tackle. And this is now Dewan Jones from Ohio State. He's the, the 6'8", 400-pound tackle. Now, who will going against T.J. Watt? So that'll be exciting to see Watt against this rookie from Iowa State. So there's a lot of, lot of things going on in this game.
0: 3 to nothing is the score right now. Panthers on top of the Saints. Eddie Pinheiro knocks through a 52-yard field goal. If the Saints lose this game, Myra, this is another— Dennis Allen's another coach that has to start getting looked at like, I don't know about this guy.
1: No, I mean this is this is a must-win. Considering Carolina with Bryce Young at quarterback and all the issues with Carolina, yes. The New Orleans looks like again. If you're Tampa, you're like, wow, I want to see New Orleans. I want to see Carolina, I want to see these teams struggle because I want Tampa. We're going to get
0: back in the playoffs again. Uh, what are we What are we watching next weekend?
1: It's not you know not a great schedule. Thursday, the Giants are San Francisco. This is <laughs> going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> this is going to be an ugly game, <laughs> I think, for for them. Uh, the Patriots are at the Jets. Uh, that um, almost like a must-win for the Jets in terms of what they're doing. The Steelers play the Raiders on Sunday night. One of the greatest rivalries in all of football, maybe not an easy win for the Steelers. And then on Monday night, is you got Philadelphia's at Tampa, and the Rams are at the Bengals. So that the, the Monday night, the the game, I guess, all weekend, is the Monday night game between the Rams and the Bengals. And almost like a must win for the Bengals to not go 0-3 on that Monday night for the double Monday night games.
0: Ira on Sports True Oldies channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Justin Felder, Fox 5 Atlanta, joins us in about uh, five, six minutes or so. Let's go over to college, and Ira, you can't escape. Dion mania everywhere you look it's prime time you're hearing about Colorado you kind of have a little bit of a problem though with the way that they're kind of looked at in the media
1: I'm just saying is that I I think that Dion He's not playing, and I, it's one thing to be like a professional wrestler, but you don't really see coaches talk about like he's able to criticize everyone else and says you got, I, but no one can criticize them. Like <laughs> no. I, you, you kind of be able to. to the golden to, children. Yes, yeah. I mean it's like it's like it's everyone say the first half hour of uh, Skip Bayless' show this morning was talking about the hit on Travis Hunter and how terrible it was the worst hit of all time. It look it was a late hit. It was to the stomach. It wasn't to the head. It was a little late. It was a penalty. All these other things. But I don't think uh, Black. And the person, the player that did it should be like banned from football for the hit. But it's almost like he's on everything. Every show you turn on, it's 60 minutes. 60 minutes. I mean, what is 60 minutes of the prime time? But I mean, it is this game was great. I stayed up till 2:30. I watched it. I was like, oh, it was it was exciting. It's great. But I guess Dion Sanders has got to realize that when he keeps talking, because he's towing all the talk, saying, Oh, this makes it personal. I mean, all Jay Norvell, the coach of Colorado State, said is I don't, you know, I take my sunglasses off. I don't want to have a hat when I do interviews. I mean, Dion De- just blew. That up, which yeah. is nice, but then your team has to do it. You're a 23 point favorite. You're the favorite team. There's a reason why Bill Belichick says, "What do you think about the next team? They're good. They're dead. That's because you yeah. don't want to give. <laughs> you don't want to make this about you. You know you're you're not Dion out there does. playing. You want to <laughs> tone it down a little bit. And I think it's, you might want to talk about when you're the underdog in a game and you bring it up, but when you're a favorite, I just don't know if that's the best thing because it does put a lot of pressure. You see Colorado when the game started, they were crazy. You know, in terms of there was the uh, Colorado State had a field. You know, they had tomato field goal, 1-3-0. Then a penalty took the points off the board. And then Silo Sanders, one of his, his other son, you know, intercepts it for a, a touchdown. But Tony Horton played great for Colorado State. It's 16 catches, 133 yards. Their quarterback, Braden Fowler, Nicosi, 400 yards, three touchdowns. They tied it up. And then it was like 14-14. And that's where Travis Hunter got hurt. And uh, then Colorado State took this lead. They're up 21-14. Colorado in the second half couldn't move the ball at all. Then it was 28-17. And you're like, oh my gosh, like Colorado State could win this game. It's a 22-point underdog. Colorado and tied it I, mean, I mean kicked a field goal and made it 28-20 and this is where Colorado, Colorado said at the end of the game had a 9 play drive it was 4th and 2 on the Colorado 45 and they decide to punt the ball and they punted it to the 2 yard line with 2 minutes to go and you're like what a great move you punted it I'm like end it there Colorado only had 2 timeouts it's 2 in the morning like in the east coast time I'm like end this game now don't give them the ball and I'm like I knew the Colorado was going to go down drive down they score a touchdown make the 2 goes into overtime all those things and they end up winning the game but but it was, I mean, Colorado State had 17 penalties for 200 yards. That was crazy. And it was, but I i, I just, and then, the, of course, the Colorado fans, they stormed the field. You're a 23-point favorite on a team. You do not, if you're a double-digit favorite, you do not storm a field for any reason whatsoever. No. That was ridiculous that they stormed the field. So I think from that perspective, was, they're exciting, they're this, but I think that he's putting more pressure on his team by talking so much about these other teams. I, I think it's, it, it is, its and he's also motivating these. If you're not, now, in Colorado, every everyone's going to be motivated to play Colorado. The first couple of weeks TCU they didn't they weren't listening to the CCU in Nebraska. They didn't hear now it's like Oregon, it's like he's talking like they're going to beat Oregon. He's talking like they're going to beat USC. Now everyone's there. All the celebrities, The Rock is there, little Wayne, and all the shows are there. It's it, there is these are only 18, 19-year-old players. There's a lot of pressure on these players.
0: So is it time to rename the Alabama uh, Crimson Tide, the Alabama No Wake Zone because this is not the Alabama team we've seen for the last 10 or 15 years. Went off Jalen Milrow, throw two different quarterbacks in, neither were good. Going back to Jalen Milrow now, it's kind of a mess for Nick Saban.
1: They're playing South Florida. They were a 34-point favorite in the game against South Florida. The over-under the game is 61. Of course, they scored 20 total. There was rain during the game, but this Alabama team is a complete mess. This is what shows when you have the last four quarterbacks in the in your team are NFL starting quarterbacks, and now you have nothing. And this is where the mistake was. I'm telling you, where Alabama made the mistake Mistake with Sam Hartman played at Wake Forest last year. He was going to transfer. Uh, they had Alabama has more NIL money than anybody to throw at someone. How he went to Notre Dame instead of Alabama? If I'm Alabama, I would have take the Brinks truck, gone to Wake Forest, said, "Here, <laughs> coming here." And that's unbelievable. Sam Hartman has twenty some touchdowns uh, uh, at Notre Dame. They're playing Ohio State this weekend. Hell, you cannot bring a guy like Sam Hartman into your program. Uh, that was a terrible mistake. And uh, you know, again, and Auburn, we're talking about this. Auburn was after uh, Deion Sanders. Not, uh, some people wanted. Deion Sanders to be their coach. He would have brought Shador Sanders there. They signed Hugh Freeze instead. What a mistake that was when you could see you could have that. I mean, Auburn doesn't care who they're... That was was ridiculous from Auburn not to get Sanders. But I think for Bama not to get Sam Hartman, that's where this mistake was because Ty Simpson, Ty Bushner, Jalen, none of them are are good enough to play. And I think that if they would have bought Sam Hartman a six-year senior with all the experience with that team they had, would have been perfect. But that, boy, Alabama looks this is, they look horrendous. They're out of the top 10 in the first time since 2015. And this year could, they could lose this weekend to Mississippi.
0: Um Good time to be a Florida college football fan, Ira, as now with the Florida Gators beating Tennessee in an upset, all three teams are ranked in the top 25. Florida, they lost to Utah. People are getting really nervous. Billy Navier, a lot of pressure on. But they
1: go up 26-7 to seven at the half. And uh, Joe Milton, for Tennessee people, he's not Hendon Hooker. I mean, I watch Tennessee and everyone says, oh, Milton's just going to be the next Hendon Hooker. Don't worry. But what a mess. And I thought the whole game, like, it just Josh Heupel did not get his team ready to play for this game. They weren't prepared. And then at the end of the game, Calling the timeouts. The game was over. He calls the timeouts. There's creating fights, and everybody want to get off the field. Just a mess for Tennessee. I, it's amazing when I saw the stat. Tennessee last won in the swamp in 2003. They, continue, they can't win in this. And a big win, big, big, big win for Florida. I mean, this is a monster win for Florida. And because I guess if Napier was losing, again, you have this Deion Sanders effect. I keep bringing him up on all these things. It is, it is there. It is there for these coaches because you can see what Deion Sanders is, what he brings, and this and that. And, and I'll tell you, if Napier was struggling, I know Dion went to Florida State, but he, I'm sure Florida would bring him in in our
0: feet to be there. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, speaking of Florida State, Played Boston College. This game is not supposed to be competitive by any means, and it, it was Boston College. BC hung in there for a while.
1: Well, it, it wasn't really competitive in terms of Boston College had a, it was 31 to 10 Florida State, and Florida State thought the game was over. You play 60 minutes in a game. Um, this is Boston College team, they set a school record for penalties, missed an extra point, went for two and didn't get it. Um, they they opted to kick a field goal when they were trailing by 15. They Did everything wrong in the game, and they still only had the ball with two with a few minutes to go, down two. Uh, Um, Florida State just Took their foot off the, the brakes and i totally mess in terms of the end of the game, but they better get ready. They're playing Clemson this week and they're gonna be at Clemson. So I don't I mean, I, I guess maybe it's a wake up call for them, but boy, that was a weird it was a weird game. I had that game on TV. I was all my screens going on Saturday <laughs> watching that, and I just couldn't believe in terms of what Florida said, I'm like, are they actually gonna lose this game?
0: You gotta post pictures of Ira's command center <laughs> on at IRA on sports on social media. It's a, a sight to behold. It's got about a minute or two here till we have to get to Justin Felder of Fox Five Atlanta. Any other games you wanna cover here? Well,
1: Penn State's win over Illinois was was nice in terms of the fact that they're sort of under the radar. Washington destroyed Michigan State 41-7. The story about this game is Michael Pettix Jr., almost 500 yards, four touchdowns. He is 300 yards for 1,300 yards of the year, 12 touchdowns for Washington, number eight. The Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever you want to call, is just doing so great. Michigan State, they fired Mel Tucker, um, a total disaster now in terms of of the sexual harassment claims against him. Now, Michigan State. Now, Penn State's lucky. We're playing Northwestern this year, which have fired their coach before. Now they're firing Michigan State. It's a very easy schedule for Penn State, except for Ohio State and, of course, Michigan. Uh, Drake May for North Carolina. They won their 3-0. But another weird game, two interceptions. He doesn't look. He's only four touchdowns, four interceptions, as someone who could be the second or third pick in the draft. Um, big upsets this week. Sacramento State beats Stanford. I mean, everyone's talking about Stanford. They lost to Sacramento State. And how about this game? South Alabama won 33-7 to at Oklahoma State. That's South Alabama at Oklahoma State, 33-7, um, I thought. That was one thing. And how about this one score? Ohio State lost to Iowa. Uh, Ohio. Ohio State lost to I- Iowa. State lost to Ohio. 7-10-7. That shows you when Brock Purdy was there, what he was able to turn. Because Iowa State was like a power. It was nationally ranked. And now he left and they're not so good. And Kansas State, Missouri. The Missouri kicker kicked to the longest field goal in the history of the SEC. 61 yards. I was watching the game live when he kicked in. And it could have gone 70 yards. It was flying there. Now Missouri stormed the field. And when your kicker kicks a 61-yard field goal to win a game, against number 15 Kansas State, you deserve to storm You're the field. You're allowed to storm the field and, and just for this week, we got some games. Florida State at Clemson, huge game. Colorado at Oregon. Oregon's favorite by 20. Um, that's going to be, of course, a big game. UCLA and Utah, both teams are ranked. Utah's favorite by four and a half. Mississippi at at Bama. Bama's favorite by seven. I think this could be an upset time. Um, Texas and Baylor. Texas is roll, you know, riding high and everything, but be careful playing at Baylor. And the big games at night. Ohio State, minus three and a half at Notre Dame. Oh, I cannot wait for that game. That's going to be tremendous. And then, of course, Iowa at Penn State. Penn State's favored by 14 and a half.
0: Let's go to Justin Felder. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. True Oldies channel. shadow Mike Balsamo. Time to bring in our guest today. It's Justin Felder. You might know him from Fox 5 Atlanta, sports reporter. Also, UF grad. And, Justin, I think I have this right. Palm Beach Gardens, born and raised.
2: Palm Beach Gardens, born and raised. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, grew up in uh, Palm Beach Gardens. My parents still live in West Palm Beach. Get down there uh, as often as we can.
0: Yeah, don't blame me. Nothing wrong with uh, escaping to Florida in the winter. Not that Atlanta is really too bad. But we're right at the corner of North Lake and Military, so probably you know a, a stone's throw away from where you went to high school.
2: Exactly. I went to uh, Dreyfus down over by what was City Place. I'm not. I hope I'm not offending any sponsors. I <laughs> lost track of the names. Uh, but the high school still named the same. So I went there in uh, Palm Beach Gardens Elementary. So, yeah, it's a, a great place to call home.
1: Ira, what do you have for Justin? Well, Justin, since 2015, you've been the sports anchor and executive producer at Fox 5. Let's talk about Atlanta for a second. The Atlanta Braves are the best team in baseball. The Georgia Bulldogs are the two-time defending champion and ranked number one in football. The Atlanta Falcons now are 2-0. and You have brand-new football stadiums that host the Super Bowl and SEC Championship game. The Hawks are actually pretty good. Uh, how about uh, Eubanks and Shelton are two of the best young tennis players that are from Atlanta. And uh, every Georgia Bulldog uh, golf player, golf, uh, player is, on the, is winning a tournament on the PGA Tour, and you have a golf tournament outside Atlanta, I think, called the Masters. So there's a lot to to talk about in terms of Atlanta sports.
2: Yeah, besides that, though, it's pretty quiet this time of year. No, it's it's great. It's a a great place to be, and I mean, Atlanta was starved of championships for a very long time. It was it, it was a running joke. Well, it wasn't a joke for the people that lived here, but now having gotten the Braves, having gotten uh, you know two Georgia college football national championships and the the soccer team here winning a title the mls team is incredibly popular which i know is a a big topic i'm sure in south florida with inter miami so them winning a championship several years ago now but that team is still popular it's a a a great time a lot going on
0: so justin wondering what's going on with the braves now and probably not a huge concern but ronald lacuna jr didn't play this weekend to be honest, there's really no reason to rush him back with the playoffs coming up. Anyway, do you know what Acuna's status is maybe for this week?
2: Yeah, it was a calf injury. Uh, all we heard really from from the team is that they were just going to be careful, exactly like you said, that there was no reason to play through something minor uh, with already the division clinched. And a, a lead, maybe not as comfortable as Braves fans would like, but a lead nonetheless for the best record in the National League, as well as. Uh, for the best record in baseball right now. So the expectation is that he's not going to need to go on the injured list. That he should be back soon. Uh, the team is going to be back home for a few games this week. Then back on the road before. Uh, wrapping up the season with a little bit of a longer homestand, so should see him back soon. But if it if it lingered longer, I think you'll have some Braves fans starting to get nervous about their MVP.
0: If well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is it is it a foregone conclusion that we're that Acuna is the MVP? I mean, for most of the season it looked like he was going to run away with it. Now we've had Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman play pretty well down the stretch. Betts actually had a historic August, one of the the greatest of all time. You think Acuna's got this locked up, or is he going to get some uh, some some uh, fight back from the Dodgers?
2: That, that's the argument right now. I think every Braves fan is probably unanimous on on it being Acuna. I mean, it depends how deep you want to go into the stats, right? And WAR and F WAR and all these kind of crazy things but look he's he's coming up on a a 40 40 season possibly he could have a 40 70 season with stolen bases I mean you could talk about the rules being different but nobody's been been close to these numbers and nobody's really all that close this year so I I think his value has been incredible and this is also a guy I I think you have to give a lot of credit for in the age of you know home run or bust he's cut his strikeouts down tremendously so he's not just hitting home runs and stealing bases, but he is getting on base. He's coming through with timely hits. So he's been a, a, a huge factor for this team. I, I, I think he should be the MVP, but I know, you know, you can find numbers to support a number of guys. And in a, in, in a different year, absent Ron Acuna and Mookie Betts, you could certainly be talking about Freddie Freeman. You could make a case that Matt Olson, who replaced Freddie Freeman, could be the MVP. So uh, a, a lot of good candidates in the National League, especially between those two teams.
0: Yeah, there's about six guys on the Braves that I think could be in the running. Um, you brought up Freddie Freeman, so did I. What was the the feeling in Atlanta once you know Freddie Freeman, kind of like the the face of the team, left replaced by Matt Olson, who really picked up right where he left off, if not better.
2: Yeah, gosh, it was a, it was an emotional time for sure. I mean, uh, on a lot of sides. I mean, you remember when. Freddie Freeman, you know, came back for the first time to Atlanta and could could hardly get through a press conference talking about it. You know, it was it was a really emotional time. You're talking about a guy who was on track to have his number retired. It could still happen with with all he did um, for Atlanta. But the thing that made it a lot easier was, you know, number one, the way Freddie handled it. Certainly, every everybody's been above board. The team's been gracious to him. He gets ovations still when he comes back. And number two, the guy that they traded for, Matt Olson a local guy went to Parkview high school in suburban Atlanta has been outstanding. You know, last year he was very good. And this year he's been, you know, just as good as Freddie Freeman. He's younger, he's more affordable. So I think it's it's hard to make a case that it was a bad move for either side. Right. So I think, you know, it had Freddie Freeman been playing like an MVP and, and Matt Olson not doing much, it could have been looked at as one of the, you know, a, a terrible decision in the franchise's history Instead, I think it's it's fair to say it was a a good move for both sides, even if maybe in his heart of hearts, Freddie Freeman might have wanted a do-over.
0: Well, if there's one thing the Braves have done great over the last ten years, it's make the right decision. I mean, locking up some of these guys really early for very team-friendly contracts, they they really hit it out of the park with not only um, you know scouting and developing, but making sure these guys are going to be in the building for a decade or so.
2: Right, you have Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, guys like that, Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, guys. They've really kind of rethought it right and now you're seeing it from a lot of other teams where you get these young guys who are under team control for several more years sign them to lucrative contracts and lock them up on what will end up being if they continue on their current pace um, incredibly below market deals right um, so they, they really kind of rethought that and with the Braves you know they've ticked up their payroll in recent years and they've they've promised to, to continue to do that maybe they're, maybe they're not going to be the Dodgers or the Mets but they've move from the middle of the pack towards the top, but knowing that they're not going to go out and outspend the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Mets and the Cubs and the Red Sox, how can they do things slightly differently uh, that's one way that's been, been really beneficial so far, getting so much of that core locked up long-term.
0: Yeah, as a Yankee fan myself, it's kind of like the reverse <laughs> Yankee theory. Instead of signing 33-year-olds to 10-year deals, get them when they're in their early 20s. Uh, before I turn you over to Ira, who's the team besides the Dodgers in the National League that you're fearing? I mean, nobody would have thought that Philly was, was going to go on a run last year and make the World Series. Is there a team in the National League besides the Braves that you're looking around like, we might, might want to play these guys in the playoffs?
2: You know, I, I think anybody there's there's a lot of teams you can make a case for, but frankly, I think it's the team you just mentioned. It's the Phillies, right? If you're going to see in, in a, a series where you could potentially see Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler for four of the games, uh, that lineup that we've seen just last year can get incredibly hot. I mean, the the Braves just went and took a series in Philadelphia, but every game felt like a playoff game. It was right down to the wire. It was you know blown saves and in ninth innings. It, it was. A terrific series that I think you heard from many of the players and um, as well as uh, Brian Snicker that it felt like a playoff series and the fact that they were able to to clinch there to celebrate with the shampoo uh champagne shampoo excuse me uh, to ruin their visitors clubhouse um I'm sure that probably left a pretty bad taste in in the the Phillies mouths. so I think that's one team that Maybe it feels destined that they're they're not done uh, playing this season. They are going to play again in the regular season, but it, it kind of seems like those two might be on a collision course with, based on recent history.
0: Ira, what do for Justin?
1: Justin, wow, two thousand seventeen Super Bowl. Matt Ryan was the MVP. They're up twenty eight three in the third quarter on the Patriots, ready to become Super Bowl champions for the first time. And then it all changed. And it's since then it's been like the Falcons were on this, it wasn't the steep descent in terms of, but it was like irrelevancy in the last few years of it. Was seven and nine, seven nine, four twelve, seven ten, seven ten. But there is now hope in Atlanta, and what a win yesterday uh, against the Green Bay Packers! And you were also, I think, for five years, you worked in Green Bay as a sports anchor there in Green Bay too. So, sort of, it was brings back memories for you.
2: Yeah, it was nice to see some familiar faces there. You're right; I covered the Packers for uh, for five seasons, living up in Green Bay. So, but yeah, it was a, a really impressive win yesterday for the Falcons. And yeah, like you said, this is year three for the the head coach and GM pairing. Uh, that came in here, and the expectations were that this would be the year that they really took a turn, that they really got things moving in the right direction, and so far the results are really encouraging. I mean, the, the story of this team really since that Super Bowl and the, the next year they were pretty good too, but after that, uh, they they took that decline, and the story has been late collapses and the dramatic ways they've managed to lose in the fourth quarter – Whereas now two weeks in a row, the first two games this year, like, I don't know if fans know what to do with themselves. They haven't allowed a point in the fourth quarter. They've outscored teams tremendously that the offense has come through and all of a sudden this team that couldn't close out games has done it twice in a row. It's very early. Their next two games uh, at Detroit and then against the Jaguars in London are two teams that, you know, people think are. Maybe a step up in competition. Two teams that are expecting to be in the playoffs this year. So those will be two really good tests. But starting out two and zero, it's the first time they won a season opener at all since 2017. Uh, so to even start out this way uh, has been a, a real step in the right direction. Fans, you could really feel the energy in the building yesterday.
1: Yeah, I mean they were down 24-12 to Green Bay at the end of the third quarter, and then they outscored them, and it was like the way you know converting on fourth downs. But the, as you said, the defense. I think Green Bay in the fourth quarter ran ten plays the entire quarter and gained seven yards. So it was just the Desmond Ritter, the young quarterback, uh, making great plays. Bijan Robinson, super playing, and uh, it's just all over in terms of be able to come down. And then the smart, you know, taking what I liked it at the end of the game is they went and actually um, it was like two minutes to go, and they were going to kick a field goal. They said, let's go on fourth down get the first down and then just leave Green Bay with a few seconds to go at the end of the game.
2: Yeah, it was a very aggressive decision. You're absolutely right. And that was, you know, it was a fourth and one. They get Bijan Robinson. He's able to pick it up. But I also think you do have to give a lot of credit to to Desmond Ritter, the quarterback. I mean, look, he had some, some shaky moments yesterday as well as in week one. I think he'd, be the first to admit that but look at the fourth quarter yesterday he ran for a touchdown he had over 100 yards passing in the fourth quarter so again he really he really rose uh, to the moment there and helped them shut the door on that one so yeah and i i think you know the the players i'm sure appreciated head coach arthur smith going for it there on fourth down they're able to pick it up kind of showing faith in his guys hey i trust that you can get the foot that they needed and then they're able to leave Green Bay with without timeouts, with not a lot of time on the clock, and ultimately the defense was able to uh, force a turnover on downs.
1: I like a quote that you from Desmond Ritter that you actually put on your Twitter page. He said the Falcons now have a positionless offense with first rounders all over the place, and it feels like a little league team. And we're just out here having a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they're moving people all over the place. Bijan Robinson lines up in the slot, out wide. He moves around. Kyle Pitts, the tight end, could be inside, slot, outside. All over, you're seeing even you know, more traditional tight ends like Johnu Smith in the backfield. So I'm, I'm really excited to see Arthur Smith's very creative uh, offensive mind. I'm excited to see how that evolves throughout the year and keeps defenses guessing as week to week they break out new wrinkles and things based on what they might have seen before on film. So I think if they, can, if they can get humming and really get Desmond Ritter in a good place where he's executing that offense, it'll be really cool to see what directions they take it.
1: And then we're going to turn to the two-time defending champions, number one-ranked team, Georgia Bulldogs. Boy, it's a little tough game there against South Carolina on Saturday. They're down 14-3 at halftime, and then Kirby Smart goes, I'm excited. I, was, I wanted to see what our team would do. I actually felt good that we were down, and certainly they proved what Georgia does in the second half in so many games is just destroy these teams. I mean, Spencer Radlow looked great in the first half and then was like 6-24 for 24 for 100 yards and two interceptions in the second half, and the Bulldogs come back and win 24-14.
2: Yeah, I, I think Georgia fans, you know, it's a, a not spoiled bunch, but look, they've watched two teams just dominate and route to national titles. So I don't know that 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 fans are seeing the kind of you know sheer dominance maybe they're used to, but also they're they're three and zero now. Uh, there are a lot of teams. Alabama comes to mind. Florida State, you know, looked a little shaky this last week that uh that you know it 's not like there 's a team out there besides maybe Colorado that 's been so exciting that has just been setting the world on fire, and Colorado had problems with Colorado state so I, I think you know Georgia fans are are happy that they didn 't come away with an upset loss, but still some questions but yeah you look at the second half and that I think it's the team they're much more used to and expecting
1: and then you've got to be happy with Carson back now you lose Stetson Bennett the third at quarterback but back it was 27 for 35 no touchdowns but no interceptions also about almost 300 yards he played well and then you got Dewan Edwards uh, running back I mean there's so many if you look at the NFL the whole league is littered with Georgia running backs and now it looks like we have another superstar running back that'll be playing in the NFL
2: yeah, that's, it's just year after year from you know Nick, Nick Chubb on down and really before that with Todd Gurley. It's been running back you there. They had some uh, some injuries at the running back position uh, in the preseason, really just leading right up to the season. So that was one of the big question marks. So if one or several of those backs can really step forward uh, and establish themselves as the guy or one of the guys, the go-to guys in that offense, I think that's going to go a long way because that, that's a, a position that, strangely enough, almost felt thin going into the season because of some injuries. But I think now they're starting to to find a groove.
1: And your schedule, the, the bulldog schedule is so easy. I mean, they're they're favored by fifty four points against UAV uh, this week, and then they're at Auburn and Kentucky, and then at Vanderbilt, and they play Florida at home. But it's just it just seems to be one of those. They play their game against Tennessee now, it's maybe not as big. It's just it's a weird schedule in terms of the fact that they and they started with UT Martin, Ball State, um, but of course they're going to play for the SEC championship game, and then the playoffs, and all those things.
2: Yeah, they have time to figure things out, that's for sure. You know, there's a game against UAB this week where if you have your arguably number one wide receiver, even though he's a slot guy, and Ladd McConkey hasn't played this year yet, I think you feel real good about not pushing him this week and letting him try to give a couple more weeks to get healthy uh, going into Auburn. But um, but yeah, they have some time to get ready. But as you've seen, you know, these, these tough games, South Carolina doesn't look like a tough game, and then all of a sudden they're they're right in it. Uh, at halftime kind of going down the stretch there so it's the sec even though it's a weird year for the sec anything can happen um but yeah this the, this team does seem to have some runway at least uh, to ramp up to the level of play they expect
1: And then I want to turn to soccer a little bit. You mentioned it earlier. I think the U.S. soccer brought their national training center now to Atlanta with the World Cup coming up. That's going to be exciting. And then you have the whole MLS in terms of the fan. The fan base in Atlanta is tremendous, uh, turning out tens of thousands of fans every game. So it's really, you see what excitement we have here with Messi in Florida. But it's pretty cool, the fact that soccer, and especially Atlanta, is becoming more of like the hub for, for the whole country for U.S. soccer.
2: Yeah, it really is. I mean, Atlanta United is the MLS team here. They routinely, you know, fill their building. They'll even they most of the time, many of the games they'll block off the upper level seating, but that'll still leave you with forty thousand or so seats uh, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is where they also play the the Falcons' games and Super Bowls and everything else. But every once in a while, for big games like for Inter Miami this past weekend, they open the upper level. They can get seventy thousand people in there, and yeah, bringing the the National Training Center will be here. The World Cup, the Men's World Cup, will have matches here, and. The hope is, and it hasn't been announced yet, but the hope is that Atlanta could even end up hosting, you know, a knockout round game, a quarterfinal, a semifinal, something like that in the world cup, which would be, you know, I think for the city, even bigger than sports, just an unbelievable showcase.
1: And then we got to just turn it over a sec for the Hawks. I mean, again, you have Trey Young, a lot of question marks with his team. I mean, it looked like you were on the rise. We love the heat down here in Miami. But Atlanta's one of those teams that I you, know, you just don't know where the, what's going to happen. And, and uh, we'll see what happens. When you have Trey Young, anything can happen.
2: Right, yeah. I mean, he's a guy, you know, they had DeJounte Murray last year. So that's going to be exciting to see that pairing kind of continue to grow together. Look, they can score. They're just trying to build. Or I think the big question in Atlanta is, how much can you build around Trey Young and Dejounte Murray in that core? Can that be a, a championship core? The Hawks certainly seem to believe the answer is yes, and and they've you know played that way at times last year. Maybe not as consistently as they wanted, and ultimately that's how the season ended. But they really seem to think that's a core they can build around and be a championship caliber team. So it'll be it'll be exciting to see what direction they go after. What I think they'd say was a, a disappointing season last year.
1: And I was able to watch on your uh, page and everything. And you can give us how we should follow you on Instagram and, and social media. But you had this great story about over Golf. And, of course, we're in the center of golf the world here in West Palm Beach. But you had a story about Scott Scal- Stallings who got an – uh, there were two Scott Stallings, one who is a professional golfer and the other who has got an invitation to the Masters by accident. And I thought it was a really great story if you want to you know, share that for a second.
2: Yeah, last I at the Masters there – that Scott Stallings, the PGA Tour golfer, earned his way into the, the ultra-prestigious competition, and he actually used to live on Sea Island, Georgia, where a lot of people, a lot of golfers do, and there was another Scott Stallings who was a realtor, uh, just a regular dude who also lived on Sea Island, and and their wives actually had the same first name, strangely enough. So the <laughs> invitation to the Masters you know, from Augusta National was sent to the wrong Scott Stallings. It wasn't the wrong address on the card, uh, it was actually sent to an old address for the PGA Tour golfer, so Augusta National didn't just had an old address that hadn't been updated by whomever, maybe not by the golfer, and it was the the UPS driver looked at it and said, "Oh, I know that guy. He lives over here," so he brought it to the to the Scott Stallings that he knew because he had no idea. So, um, long story short, they were able to connect through social media. The invitation got in the hands of. The correct person, the actual golfer, but Scott Songs the golfer, invited Scott Songs the realtor, to Augusta. Uh, he got him practice round tickets for he and his wife, hosted him uh, at a charity dinner, you know, and he, and he actually, the golfer, framed the invitation, signed it, put it in a nice frame, and gave it to Scott Song's the realtor, and said, you know, this has served its purpose. I got to play in the tournament. Now it's yours. So I thought it was a a really nice story.
1: Oh, that's a great one. And also the invitation. It's not like we get invitation to Masters. It's like a little note. I mean, it is a very, you know, very beautiful invitation to to be. Oh, absolutely. Tremendous there. As you'd expect. (laughs) That's great. So, Justin, well, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. So how should people follow you if we're down here in West Palm Beach and we can't get Fox 5 in Atlanta? What's the best way to follow you on social media?
2: Yeah, just search me on Facebook, Justin Felder, Fox 5. Same thing on, on Twitter, X, whatever you're calling it, on Instagram as well. And, uh, and yeah, looking forward to, uh, to, to hearing from folks in South Florida and can't wait to be back visiting my family soon. It's a, a great place. You're all fortunate to call home, and I, I appreciate you reaching out.
0: Thanks a lot, Justin. Really appreciate it. Iran Sports, through all these Channel, all knotted up 3-3, 12.27 to go in the second quarter, Saints and Panthers. Um, just real quick here, good news for, for the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, nobody goes to see them. They're always good, and they're getting a new stadium, finally. This, this is Humongous news because I've been following the Tampa, the Tampa Bay.
1: They, their stadium when they got the stadium wasn't even a good stadium. It's the Is worst it stadium in the history. That's the stadium in St. Pete that the ball hits the roof all the time. They have different rules. It's 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 awful. Worst stadium in almost all of sports. They were going to push it in Tampa. That didn't. Everything sort of fell through, and everyone thought Tampa was going to move the team, but it, they came together. St. Pete's going to put this huge complex, 30,000 seat stadium, 1.2 billion dollars. Wow, I was just surprised. Now I'm a little nervous that it's in St. Pete and not. Tampa is a little harder to get to, but I'm really glad. I think there are a lot of good fans. I think with the right stadium, that you know, the Bucks draw really well. Lightning grow, you know, draw great. I think this is great for the t- for the state of Florida and for Tampa.
0: And let's wrap it up with some Formula One.
1: And in Formula One, I'll tell you what, one of the best races of the season. Matthew, your staff, and somehow the Red Bull cars didn't look good in the humidity of Singapore. He was number eleven in qualifying, didn't run a really good race, and in final, in the end of the race, the final two laps, there was four second. You know, the, the four drive drivers were separated by two seconds and Lewis Hamilton was like telling his teammate George Russell get out of the way let me pass Carlos Seitz and Lando Norris and Russell was like the driver no I'm not going to let you get in I'm going to pass them but he ended up crashing Uh, Hamilton finished third Uh, Carlos Seitz wins Lando Norris is second and Hamilton was so mad at Russell for not letting him pass but boy big race Verstappen though still has such a cute lead that this next week he probably could clinch the whole championship with six races seven races to go but after he wins this he'll clinch it with six to go what are you up to this week deciding not sure what we're going to do but we'll hopefully maybe a college football game on saturday but this is uh this will be a tough this is a tough decision because i have to be back here on sunday and whether i can go to penn state at a night game and fly back but all these factors that go into where i could which football college football game maybe florida state clemson
0: we are out of time thanks so much to justin felder of fox 5 atlanta he's ira on mike let's talk next monday night iron sports